Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Praise God. Amen. Tonight, we're going to talk about some things that people have been asking. I titled the message, The End is Near, talking about some end time events just to kind of keep us updated with what's going on and what we believe is taking place. But first, let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of coming together tonight and studying your word via live streaming. And we believe, dear Father God, the anointing is upon your word. And as it goes forth in power and demonstration, it will touch hearts and change lives everywhere it goes. I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost to proclaim truth with power and demonstration that your word will be magnified among the people. Now, Father, be glorified in all that's said and done in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. First of all, let me just begin by saying we know that we're living in unprecedented times right now. Uh, COVID-19 has really changed the landscape of our society, and we know that. You go back in March and May, and or March and April, May in that area, and what do we see? We see uh, children not finishing their school year. We see um, empty shelves in, in stores and marketplaces, and almost like it's apocalyptic. We see also... Um, Bars and restaurants being affected to limited capacity or in some cases, you know, just drive through. Then we saw something that you've never seen before. Churches having to live stream and not even meet together for a church service. We saw sporting events like March Bandits canceled. I know which was disappointing to a lot of people. And uh, we see that athletics as far as uh, sporting events, even the Olympics being canceled uh, as a result of COVID-19. Uh, who would have thought that the home would become the workplace like it has been for some businesses? A lot of people are still working at home. Uh, and another thing that's really uh, alarming is when you see weddings postponed and funerals canceled. As, as far as you can't meet for the funeral service, it's postponed, and they'll have a memorial service at another time and date. We saw all these things transpire during this particular time. Uh, as a pastor for 40 years, you are not able to go to a hospital to visit somebody that's there. Someone having surgery just uh, this week here, you can't go and, and be with them, pray with them. Uh, nursing homes, and that's really a troubling thing because we have people that are a part of nursing homes right now, um, and they haven't been visited by people. Even family members are very much limited if they could even get in and all. So can you imagine that an elderly person is by himself, alone in this facility, and no loved one's there to be by their side? Um, also, Here's a time when movie theaters are closed. Um, masks are being worn everywhere you go. You know, you walk into a bank and you got a mask on, not to rob it, but to protect the people and to protect yourself. And so, once again, we're living in unprecedented times right now. And many have asked, well, is COVID-19 then a sign of the end time? Or is it telling us that the end is near? Or is it just a precursor uh, of things to come? some things that are going to take place, uh, let's say, in a not-too-distant future. Well, I think maybe both might be true, that uh, it's a sign, and it's not a sign of the end times, but it's a precursor, so to speak, 
of things that will take place. In other words, it's a forerunner of something that can take place to give us an example of what it's going to be like during the tribulation period. You know, we go back even to 1918 when we had the Spanish flu and over 50 million people died. I don't know about, of course, time was different back then and things weren't maybe shut down as they are right now. We just got so much going for us right now. But obviously it was a time where a lot of people's lives were lost. But uh, what we want to do is begin to establish some things about the end times so that we can be ready when Jesus comes again. So we want to look at some scriptures and give you some understanding about the end times and kind of put things in perspective. So what I like for us to do is to look in Acts chapter 3, beginning at verse 19, 19 to 21. Look at these verses. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before you was preached, was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution, if you're taking notes, underline restitution, of all things which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. The time of restitution is talking about restoration of something that was lost or stolen, given back to its proper owner. Now, we couldn't be talking about how close we are to end times if it was in 1918 when this Spanish flu broke out. Why? Because there are certain things that have to take place in order for that to occur. Which one is, of course, the time of restitution. Israel had to have all things restored back to them before we can even think about talking about the rapture of the church. And then the second coming of Christ. Look in Acts chapter 1, and this should be verse 6, not verse 5. If you picked up the notes, it's verse 6, my mistake. Let's read it. Disciples, of course, are with Jesus. Jesus is about to depart to go back to glory. Look at the question that they ask him. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And, of course, he wanted to say that's uh, not for you to think about right now. I'm just going to receive power and, and be my witness. But the question is important. Is it time to restore? And it's not. The time had not yet come. In A.D. 70, we understand that the Jewish people were scattered as a result of uh, the temple being destroyed by the Romans. We know that took place. They were scattered throughout the entirety of the world as they went from place to place. Well, restoration means they'd have to be restored back to their homeland, and certain things had to take place. And so let's uh, quickly give you some of those things that took place that had to be fulfilled before we can say we're living in the last of the last days. Well, what are they? Well, number one, Israel had to be restored to being a nation once again, and that took place on May 14, 1948. Once again, they became a nation. And then Jerusalem had to be restored to be the capital of Israel, and, and that took place in 1967 when the war was fought, and they took it over once again. The third thing, the Jews had to be returned or returning back to Israel. And we see from the north, south, east, and west that that began to take place in 1989. They call it the Aliyah, when people are coming back together to their homeland once again. And then we understand the next thing to take place was the latter rain. The latter rain uh, took place in 2000. And what took place was there was a what they call cloud busting in the year 2000. And... As a result, uh, or I'm sorry, that was 1992. And as a result, of course, they got the latter rain. And then in the year 2000, we have Isaiah 35, verse 1 fulfilled. 
that says the desert began to blossom as a rose. So they had an underground water system that they found and discovered. And as a result, Israel right now is sending produce all around the world. And so those five things are five things that had to take place called the restoration of all things in the nation of Israel in order for us to even talk about the fact that we're living in the last of the last days. Now, we can also continue by saying this. Right now, we have a temple in waiting in Israel. We have a blueprints drawn up for the temple to be rebuilt. Also, if you haven't heard, there are two as of, let's say, this past month, the month of July, and then going into August right now, I haven't heard any changes. But in 1918, there were two red heifers that were born, and they all qualified. They were kosher, and they could be used for the, the sacrifice, to be used as a sacrifice before the Lord to cleanse uh, the land and uh, to be used for sacrificial offerings. So as of right now, I believe they are still kosher. They have to have two years in order to be kosher, and apparently right now that has taken place. So all these things coming together, those things fulfilled, we call them the restoration of all things in Israel, is telling us now that we're living in the last of the last days. And of course, Jesus can come at this time in our lifetime, which is an amazing thing to think that we're, we could possibly be that part of God's dealing with mankind where the rapture of the church takes place. Now, look at some things that Jesus taught about this in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. We're going to read through these. Uh, scriptures, just as what Jesus talked about as far as the last days are concerned. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting, uh, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, when it is evening, you say, it'll be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and lowering. Well, oh, ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah, and he left them and departed. Now, here Jesus is criticizing these people because they want another sign. They want a sign. Well, the, the best sign they could possibly have had was staring them right in the face, and they were talking to him. And if they would have really known the scriptures and studied the scriptures, they would have known who he was. But, of course, they refused to do that, or they completely ignored it. They couldn't see it. So what does Jesus do? He points them to a sign that they should understand. Jonah, as he was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale or the fish, he'll, Jesus, the Messiah, he'll be in the heart of the earth for those three days, as Jonah was. And says, that's a sign that you'll see. And when you see that, you better know that's who I am. Okay, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, look at beginning at verse 3. He talks about the end times once again. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, which is where he gave a discourse and talked to his disciples, some of his disciples, about uh, what's going to take place in the future, the disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world, which is the word age, the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Uh, see that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences, keep that thought in mind, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So here he's saying, look, here's some of the signs that you can look for. 
You can look for some of these things taking place. And in that last period of time, the last seven years, those are the things that are going to be pronounced. And when you see those things happening, just know that your redemption is truly uh, drawing nigh. But look at verse 3 once again. Because in verse 3, they ask him three particular questions. In verse 3, when will these things be? Notice, when shall these things be? Number two, what shall be the sign of of thy coming? Number three, and the end of the world. Well, how does Jesus respond to that? How does Jesus answer that? A lot of people will ask that question, but for some reason don't like the answer that Jesus gave. But look at verse 36, because we have the answer that Jesus gave about this. Look what he says. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So when Jesus was here upon the earth, no one knew it. No one could know. Only the Father knew. So even to ask that question is really not the right thing for anybody to do, because Jesus made it very clear that no one's going to know that. But just to give you an example, there are many people over the years that have set dates for the return of our Lord and really look foolish as a result of doing so. But there was another group, a research team, that got together and did a study of, let's say, what year we're living in right now from Adam to the time we're living in right now. And they used uh, scripture, history, science, and also um, astronomy to try to determine exactly what year we're living in right now. And as far as this past March was concerned, they concluded, this, this is they concluded, remember, that we're in the year 6001. It began right then. And they they, once again, I'm not saying I, but they actually believe that Jesus will come this fall feast. They had an understanding of the Jewish holidays, or holy days, or feast days, we could say. And they knew the next thing on God's timetable is the rapture of the church, which takes place at the Feast of Trumpets, because all the first four feasts took place, and they were fulfilled on the right day. So they have concluded that this is the 6,001 year, and so therefore Jesus should come this fall feast in September. Well, how many of you know that we've taught, and we should always believe this, we don't set dates for Jesus to return. We just don't do that. We don't believe in doing that. Now, could he come during the fall feast? Absolutely. Could he come the next year in the fall feast? Absolutely. Will he come during the fall feast? Well, we think that he should, but once again, he's in control of that. The Father's in control of that. But uh, the point I want to make is that Jesus is going to come when the Father looks at him and says, it's ready, it's time for us to go and bring the church back up. Because, you see, the time of the Gentiles has been fulfilled. And so the last one is coming to the family of God, so it's time to bring them all home. Well, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, look, beginning at verse 37, Jesus taught something that I've been teaching for all these years with regard to the end times. What did he teach? Well, let's read it. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one ta- shall be taken, and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known of that watch, the thief would come, he would have watched and would have not suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready. Notice his advice. Be ready. For in such hour, an hour, you think the Son of Man 
cometh. So what hour you think not, that's when he's going to come. And so Jesus is actually saying, be ready. Now, notice how he uses this to describe the rapture of the church. For the most part, you know, he's talking about the second coming. And then a little part talks about the rapture of the church. And he says, look, it's like in the days of Noah. It's like in the days of not. I just want to throw this out to you. It's not in the notes, but just real quick. People say, well, he's going to come pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Actually, one responded to my article that I talked about the rapture of the church and said, that's heresy, that's heresy. And wrong to think that way. Everybody can have a different opinion. Never be dogmatic about these things about revelation and the end of the you know, age. But anyhow, as it was in the days of Noah is my question. How was it in the days of Noah? They were eating, drinking, business as usual, like they were just going on with normal life. Okay, let's consider that. Okay, next, second thing. How did they depart? When did they depart? Did they get into the boat before the flood or the wrath of God was poured out or the judgment of God was poured out? Did they get in the boat during the middle of it, the middle of the uh, outpouring and judgment of God? Or did they get in the boat at the end of it all, which I think they would have drowned by then. But anyhow, that's the question. It'll be as it was in the days of Noah. So obviously the answer is the fact that when judgment fell, they were already in the boat. So it was before. You could say pre-trip. Okay, when it comes to Lot. Didn't the angel just say, look, we've got to destroy this city. We're going to bring judgment on the city. This is the wrath of God that's being poured out. The vengeance of the Lord is taking place. When did they leave Sodom? Did they leave before judgment fell? In the middle of the judgment? Or at the end of the judgment? We know the answer to that. It was before wrath. It was before judgment. That's when they left. Well, the church is not appointed to any part of the wrath of God. And the last seven years of tribulation is the wrath of God. Of God. It's the day of the vengeance of our God that will take place. So when is the church going to get out of here? I believe pre-trib. Because we're not appointed to wrath in any way. So I believe that we leave the time of the Gentile ends. And then he goes back to Jewish time. And he deals with his people. Which is what Daniel talked about. Dealing with the people and the city of Jerusalem during that time. So we go back on the Jewish time. And Jesus will wrap things up. Look at uh, Matthew 24 and verse 7. Once again, for nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines. Notice the word pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. That's, now, that's something that's going to take place during the tribulation period. And how do I know that? Well, think about it. Do you really think in the seven years of tribulation, some say, well, pre or some say mid, they think it's going to be a picnic during that particular time. That is the day of the vengeance of our God. It's the day of the wrath of God and judgment of God being poured out upon the earth for rejecting his plan of salvation and the blood of his son that was shed for their redemption. That's what it is. So if we're thinking that the first three and a half years are going to be maybe a picnic or less than the latter three, it may be less than the latter three, but it's not going to be a picnic and it's not going to be business as usual. Let me tell you why. Because the two prophets that will be there probably to protect the temple from all the uh, enemies that are coming against uh, Jerusalem and also Israel, those two prophets who we believe possibly, once again, not being dogmatic, could be Enoch and also Elijah, because those are the two that were taken into heaven that never really died. And so let's just say that it is those two, that it is them. They're going to come. And they're going to have power, supernatural power, so that when people come to try to, let's say, attack the city, destroy the city, destroy the temple, etc., etc., they call fire down from heaven. They turn the water into blood. 
they also cause earthquakes and they also cause droughts. They're not going to be popular people among those that are coming against Israel in Jerusalem. And so they're going to be in the first three and a half years doing that until Satan or the Antichrist has power over them to kill them. And that's going to take place. And then they're going to be resurrected during the middle of it. So do we really think people are going to be business as usual while these things are going to go on? They're going to be hated by all these people because of what they are doing to protect Israel. So if you think right now there's a problem in, in, in the Middle East and in Israel, wait till that takes place. Then the Antichrist, of course, is revealed after these two are going to be dead. When they're given power over them, they're going to be lying in the streets. The body's going to be there lying in the streets. They're going to see them. They're going to, not going to be put in a grave. They're going to be paraded about right there. And guess what? All the world will see them. Why will the world see them? Why? Because of satellite technology that we have right now. That's why walking around with your little cell phone, you can, hey, look at those two guys. They've been lying there for three and a half days. Uh-oh, look at that. They've been raised up from the dead. Look at they're going up into glory. Can you imagine? That's not going to be business as usual because that's when the Antichrist exposes himself and says, I'm God. And he's the oblation of uh, Daniel prophesied what's going to take place. And as a result of ceasing all the offerings that take place there, and he's basically saying, I am God, worship me. It's all going to break loose right at that time. So the point I'm trying to make is, those seven years are not going to be business as usual like it was in the days of Noah or Lot. It's going to be havoc upon the earth like we've never seen before. And we're going to show you some scripture. But COVID-19, that isn't a sign, but it's a precursor. It's a forerunner uh, of the pestilence, which is a, basically a fatal epidemic disease that will come upon the people in the tribulation period. But look at the book of um, Ezekiel chapter 39, because if this doesn't impact us, I really don't know what will. This is what's going to take place during the tribulation period. It shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place thereof graves in Israel, the valley of the passengers on the east of the sea, and it shall stop the noses or the mouths of the passengers. And there shall, there shall they bury Gog and all his multitude, and they shall call it the valley of Haman Gog. And seven months, here it is, shall the house of Israel be burying of them that they may cleanse the land. Now you understand how they felt about dead bodies. Those dead bodies are going to be there in Israel, and there are so many of them because of the plagues, the pestilences, and the earthquakes, and the fire coming down from heaven, and so on, it will take them seven months. Think about it. Seven months to bury the dead. COVID-19 is nothing like that. It's a precursor, but it's nothing like that. And then, yea, and all the people of the land shall bury them, and it shall be to them a renowned the day that I shall be glorified, saith the Lord God. Do you really think that God wants his church to go through any part of that at all? And the answer is no, because we're not appointed to wrath. But what we do see, and like I said, a precursor, what we do see is this. You can't go to store without a mask on. You can't shop. Really, they should enforce that. You can't shop without a mask on. Well, what did we see? The whole planet shut down as a result of COVID-19. It gives us a precursor, a forerunner, what's going to take place. If you don't take the mark of the beast, you don't shop. No food. No gas. No banking, nothing that you can do unless you take the mark of the beast. And we see how that can something that comes into, be something that comes into play here 
It's that simple when you have a one-world government, which is what many are trying to lean toward right now. Okay, so it's a forerunner. Let me give you some other verses. Look at Revelation chapter 16, 8 through 11. Look at what it says. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and the power was given unto him to scorch men with fire, and men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed, how about this, the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. In other words, he could have stopped the plague, and they repented not to give him glory. Hard to imagine you can be in that state and not repent. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. Once again, hard to imagine. Look at verse uh, chapter 6 and verse 8. And I looked and behold a pale horse and his name that sat on him was death. And he and hell followed with him and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword. A fourth part of the earth. If you consider even right now you're talking about 8 billion people dying. Hard to imagine. I'm sorry, 2 billion people dying. There's 8 billion people in the world right now, but 2 billion people dying. COVID-19 is not even near anything like that. Even in 1918, 50 million people isn't anywhere near 2 billion people dying in a heartbeat just like that as a result of the plague. Uh, look at chapter 9 and verse 18. Another thing that takes place. By these three was the third part of men killed. We just had a quarter of it. Now we got another third killed by the fire and the smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. So we're talking about a time that will take place upon planet Earth that is unprecedented. We've never seen anything like this before. And once again, what we're seeing now is a precursor. It is a forerunner to the things that are going to take place in that last week of Daniel's prophecy, the last seven years on this planet like we've never, ever seen before. All at once, all these things are taking place. This doesn't sound like business as usual. This doesn't sound like eating, drinking, and marrying. Can you imagine even trying to do something like that? As a matter of fact, we've seen, like I said, weddings postponed. We've seen funerals postponed because of all this. And if you're a Christian and you want to get married during that particular time, if you don't take the mark of the beast, you don't have access to food. You have access to nothing. You're going to be beheaded because of your faith in Christ. So once again, the church is not appointed to wrath. The church is brought out, is delivered like Noah and his family, like uh, Lot and his family. They're brought out for the last seven years to be the day of the vengeance of our God. If you recall, when Jesus was first handed the book and he began to preach his first message, what did he say? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, preach the living to the captives, recovering sight to the blind, and set liberty to the bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Guess what? He left out one part. He was quoting Isaiah. He left out one statement. And the day of the vengeance of our God. Why did he leave that out? Because when he was here upon this earth, it wasn't the day of vengeance. It was the day that he came to redeem us. Redemption was going to take place. But now we see the last seven years is the day of vengeance. It is the week 
The seven years of tribulation. It is the wrath of God being poured out upon the earth. A time like we've never seen before and will never see again. And what did he say? You better pray that you would die. People will pray that they will die, but they will not die. Imagine that. And why aren't they going to die? Oh, many are going to die from the wrath of God, but there are going to be those that want to die that are not going to die. They're going to go into a thousand year millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're going to be forced to sit under his leadership. I don't think there's going to be free moral agency at that time. I believe that they're going to have to do exactly what he says to do. Why? Because they rebelled against him all this time, but now they're going to listen to him. He's going to rule them. How do we know this? Well, you go to the book of Revelation chapter 20, and what do we find out? Imagine this, for 1,000 years, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is reigning upon the throne of David in Jerusalem. Can you have anybody better than that? The government's upon his shoulder, a great government, a great place to live. No sickness, no disease, and the list goes on and on. No evil, because the devil's where? In the abyss for 1,000 years. But to show you humanity and the negativity of mankind. And Jesus said, they like darkness more than the light. And we see it unfolding. Why? In Revelation chapter 20, it says this. When Satan is loosed, after the 1,000 year period, he is going to do what? Tempt the people once again. He's going to enlist an army described in Revelation 20 as the sand along the seashore. And they're going to siege Jerusalem to try to overthrow the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is the battle of Gog and Magog. Are they out of their minds? Lucifer fell the first time. He has failed every time he's, they've tried to overthrow Israel. Israel's never been defeated. They've been in bondage, but not wiped out because God has defended them. The Lord has defended them. Well, guess what? It's going to happen then too. But can you imagine how crazy the devil is to think that he's going to get all these people together, an army together, and they're going to overthrow Jesus? No. Gog and Magog. They're defeated. They go to the great white throne judgment. They're cast into the lake of fire throughout eternity. But how ridiculous can people be to think for 1,000 years under Jesus' leadership and you're going to rebel against him now? It goes to show you the depravity of mankind. Um, do we look at uh, chapter 9, verse 18? Okay. What do we learn right now from what's taking place in our country, in our nation, in our homes? In our society. The society that we're living in right now, the landscape's been changed immeasurably as a result of what's going on. We've never done anything like this before. We've never seen anything like this before. Here I am once again preaching live streaming once again and, and nobody here at the church. These things haven't happened before. Well, number one, lessons to learn. We're all vulnerable. We understand our frame. And it's time that we open up our eyes and we understand we're all vulnerable. No one is exempt. You think about the fact that coaches have contracted COVID-19. We understand that also celebrities, who sometimes people think they're so mighty and so invincible, but yet they have contracted COVID-19. We see athletes, strong, powerful athletes contracting COVID-19. Politicians, the young, the old, the rich, the poor, the gender doesn't matter. The race doesn't matter. None of it matters. Everyone is vulnerable because Jesus made it very clear to us that we're going to have trouble in this world. 
as long as we're living in the world. Look at uh, John's Gospel, chapter 16. Sometimes we, this is from the Amplified Bible, sometimes we emphasize one thing and not the other. I've told you these things so that in me you might have perfect peace. Where do we have perfect peace? In Him, not in the world. In the world, you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. We can all attest to that. We know that. It was really weird being locked up in my bedroom for um, 10 days, 12 days, whatever the time was. But you know what? There was time there just to get alone and and, and to really think things through uh, and just reflect upon things. Notice frustration, distress, tribulation in the world. But be of good cheer, take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted, for I have overcome the world He overcame the world and I have deprived it of power to harm you and have you and have conquered it for you. So where is our peace? Where is our hope? Where is our victory? It's found in Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. So he said, look, storms are going to come to all of us. No matter who you are, it's going to come your way. We're all going to be challenged, but our peace is found in him. You know, our peace, our joy is found in him. Number two, the uncertainty of life is another lesson that we learn. In the book of James, chapter 4, 13 through 16, this is what we discover. Go to now ye that say today or tomorrow, we will go in such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It's but a vapor. It appears for a little while, then vanishes away. You ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. You know what? Jesus said these words. Be ready. Well, how are we ready? Well, we're ready by number one. Planning as if he's not coming for, let's just say, 500 years. But living as if he's coming tonight. Yes, we understand we're going to be around tomorrow if he doesn't come. So we have to plan for that. But we should be living our lives like he's coming tonight. You talk about keeping things in the eternal perspective. What impact that has upon the way we think, our psyche. When we recognize, you realize going to bed tonight might be it. And we're going to be in glory, raptured out of here and with him. Our lives are but a vapor. He's talking about a vapor, a puff of smoke. There's a visible side to it that you see. But the invisible side is eternal. It's forever. So for a flash, we see this puff of, of steam. That's it. Temporal. But forever. It's invisible. We don't see it. So the planning should be for our eternity, not just for our now. And so we need to learn that. The uncertainty of life. Look in the book of Psalms 39. This is from the Home and Christian Standard Bible. Look what it says in verse 5. You indeed have made my day short in length and my lifespan as nothing in your sight. Yes, Every, every mortal man is only a vapor. That's what James was quoting. Stop and think about that. Selah, that's what that means. Meditate on that for a while. We're but a vapor. And all the things that surround us in this life, they're going to be gone in a flash. All the decisions that we make, we should make with the eternal perspective in mind. Thinking things through before we make our choices. So, once again... We thought we'd go bowling tomorrow. Well, nope, there's no bowling alley open. Or do a movie. Nope, there's no movie. We're going to watch a sporting event. Nope, you can't sit there. They got fake people in the stands. Think about that. 
I just happened to turn on a, a ball game. It was a baseball game, which we haven't had any baseball. And behind the home plate, there was a bunch of posters of people, fans. Same thing with basketball. They're playing to posters. Whoever thought we'd be like that? Whoever thought the Olympics would ever be canceled for any other reason than war? But you see, this is where we're at. So it can change in a heartbeat. This is, we're here for a little while. Number three, our dependence on God. Our dependence on God. How dependent we are on God. Look at Psalm 42 and verse 5. Why art thou cast down on my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? How many people are asking those questions here even today? Look, that he goes on to say, Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. A lot of people are without work, without a job, because of what's going on. A lot of people can't pay their mortgage because of what's going on. Once again, it is so important for us to recognize finally that our financier is the living God. Our helper is the living God. The Holy Spirit is our helper, our comforter, our counselor. He's the one that helps us along the way. He'll provide for us. He'll care for us. The Lord is the help of our countenance, not the world system in which we live. Well, I learned that lesson when I was at school, how important it is for us to recognize that the Lord's our helper. And as we already quoted in John 16.33 from the Amplified Bible, our hope is in Him. In this world, we're going to have tribulation. But He says what? Trials, distress, frustration. But be of good cheer. Take courage. Why? Be confident, certain, undaunted, for I've overcome the world. I've deprived it of its power to harm you and have conquered it for you. So this world's been conquered by Jesus. What's He want us to do? Walk close to Him. Walk by His side. You know, there's nothing more important than people as families serving the Lord together. Walking together with the Lord. Because when we leave this realm of life, you take nothing with you. Prayerfully, your family. Families are so meaningful to the Lord. So, our dependence is on God. And right now, many have depended on God to bring them out from a death sentence with regard to COVID-19. Number four, nothing is more important than our salvation. Nothing in the world, we learn, is more important than this. Look at the book of Revelation, chapter 13. Look, we live in the greatest nation on the planet, don't we? We live in the most powerful nation on the planet. But even though we know we have all this power, Nuclear power, military forces, and intelligence beyond words. You ever think a tiny little germ can bring our whole society to a halt? Just like that? Hard to imagine. We don't need military power. We don't need political power. What we need is the power of the name of Jesus. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we've got to remember the name of the Lord our God. They're brought down and fallen, but we're arisen and stand up rightly. Why? Because our trust is in the living God that we serve. This is the hour of salvation. We need to learn the fact that our salvation is more important than anything else. Revelation 13, verse 15, look what it says. And he had power to give life into the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causes all, 
both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man, his number is six hundred, three score and six, or six, 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 which we've heard a lot of. Look, nothing is more important than our salvation. If you're not saved on this side of the tribulation, you've got something terrible to look forward to. But even though you're ushered into the tribulation period, you're not raptured out of here with the church, it'd be better to die a martyr's death than to take that mark of the beast. And you'll see why. Look at the next verse in chapter 14. And then chapter 16. And the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image. And whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. What a choice. What a decision. Do you to get food, shelter, clothing, gasoline, etc. Choose the mark of the beast so you can buy and sell? If you do, then you face the wrath of God for an eternity. Just as he described. Look at the next chapter 16. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to uh, the seven angels. Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast. And upon them which worshipped his image. You talk about an unprecedented outpouring of wrath and plagues and all kinds of disruption to human life. Does that sound like in that seven-year period there's going to be buying and selling only false peace in the first three and a half years? But there's going to be trouble with the two prophets, fire coming down from heaven. And you know what? God said it this way. Look, you killed my prophets. As a result of that, I'm going to turn your water system into blood. That's another time. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. No matter who we are out here, in, uh, whether you're listening by live streaming or whatever other way, maybe uh, whatever method that we have, look at this verse of Scripture. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation I have succored thee. Behold, now, not tomorrow, but now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So we learn Everyone's vulnerable. We learn the uncertainty of life. We learn our dependence is on God, not ourselves or this world system. We learn that nothing is more important than being saved right now because tomorrow we don't know about anything. And finally, and here's the biggest need, the need for humility. Humility. In the book of Daniel, chapter 4, we have a fallen king. Here's a man who's caught up in pride and arrogance thinking that all that he had in his kingdom was a result of his intelligence and his ingenuity. But in chapter 4 of Daniel, look what happened to him when he took credit for what he believes himself did. 
He said, I'm the one that created this whole thing. I'm the one who brought success here. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men, did he grass as oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers. His nails like bird's claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes into heaven and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him that lives forever whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. So here we have someone going from the height of pride to the lowest place of humility and realizing these words that we share with you all the time. Without him, we are nothing, have nothing, know nothing, can do nothing. If we want him, as Nebuchadnezzar did, humble yourself in my closing verses, 1 Peter 5, 5. And here it is. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with, clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If anything, we should be so humbled before the Lord even right now. Because of what we're all going through. Tomorrow's not guaranteed unless you're in Christ and you know him. But once again, the rapture could take place tonight. So the point is, are we saved? Are we living ready? Are we planning our lives like for some future that may not even exist? Plan like he's not coming forever, but live like he's coming tonight. And I know that would be wonderful for all of us. But what does that speak to your heart? What does that speak to my heart? What's really important in our lives? What is it? Putting him first and prioritizing our lives. Him first, our marriage second, our children third, and the list goes down from there. Amen. So, Father, I pray these words penetrates each and every one of our souls that we can reevaluate our own lives to determine exactly where we're at in faith. Do we trust you or the arm of the flesh? Do we look to you or military forces or intellectual forces that men might have? Or possess. Our eyes are upon you. You're bigger than a plague. And as the scripture says. They wouldn't repent. But may every heart look to you. And truly search the heart. And try the reins of every individual person. Every one of us. That we would humble ourselves before you. Pray seek your face. Turn from wicked ways. That you could hear from heaven. Forgive our sin. And cleanse our land. And rid this place of any virus and all sickness and all demonic influences and forces or diseases. Because you're the God of plenty and you're more than enough. It's not you, it's us. And so we humble ourselves before you. Thank you for directing us and giving us all that we need to know and do so that we can rise up victorious in every aspect of our lives. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.